0: To learn more and to claim your company listing, visit agtechcompanies.com. If you are starting a vertical farm and don't know where to begin or which technology would suit your needs, then reach out to the experts at Cultivated. As indoor farm brokers, they help connect you to the right technology and ensure your project is successful. Best of all, their service is free because they work on behalf of their partners. Visit cultivated.com to learn more. And that's spelled C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-D.com or click the link in the show notes.
1: So we got into what's called, you know, low stress training, plant training techniques, tying things, but trying to figure out how could we do that with robotics and and not having to rely on that manual operation so much. So what we came up with is a system that will automatically train a plant to grow sideways, horizontally. Essentially what what it does is it tricks the top of the plant.
0: Welcome to the Vertical Farming Podcast. Weekly conversations with fascinating CEOs, founders, and ag-tech visionaries. Join us every week as we dive deep into the world of vertical farming with your host, Harry Duran. Vertical Farming Podcast, Season 4. Welcome back. If this is your first time listening, you're in the right place. This is the show where we interview fascinating CEOs and founders of the leading vertical farming companies from around the world. I'm your host, Harry Duran. In case you missed it, last week we had a great conversation with Samantha Johnson. Make sure you check that out, episode 43. This episode, I speak to Aja Atwood. She's the co-founder and CEO of Trella Technologies. It's an organization that provides technical, innovative solutions to make indoor and urban farming a sustainable, long-lasting industry. And in this episode, we talk about the technologies they're developing at Trella, including automated plant training robotics. She shares her entrepreneurial origin story, which started with her natural curiosity and analytical mind, which led her to building a company that's aiming to change the vertical farming industry. We discussed the incredible work they're doing with Trella's partnership with the John Charles Academy, and it speaks to the importance of fostering diversity in the workplace. Finally, Ada talks about what's next for Trella and what excites her about the future of AgTech. This episode is brought to you by Freight Farms. Freight Farms manufactures and sells the leading vertical hydroponic container farm, the Greenery S. Built inside a 40 foot shipping container, the Greenery S uses innovative climate control technology paired with an IoT app called Farmhand to enable anyone to grow fresh food anywhere in the world. Visit freightfarms.com forward slash vertical farming podcast to learn more. This episode is brought to you by the Global Vertical Farming Show, taking place December 1st and December 2nd online. It's a trailblazing global event bringing together the complete Vertical Farming value team to explore the market, introduce brands, and make new connections. Learn more at verticalfarmingshow.com. So Aja Atwood, co-founder and CEO of Trella Technologies, thank you for joining me on the Vertical Farming podcast. Thank you for having me. Do you remember how we got connected? I think it was someone from your marketing team or someone who had been listening to the podcast previously.
1: Yeah, one of our members of the team, Sherry, she's our community engagement, she reached out. Yeah. Uh,
0: how about yourself? What's been your journey with the podcasting world? How do you listen or
1: Yeah, I enjoy podcast, listening to podcasts a lot. In 2020, we did well I, on my personal brand on my personal channel, I did a um, a podcast where I interviewed some people in in the in the industry in the cannabis space which is where i was focused a lot more at that time and it went really well i enjoyed doing it but it's a lot of work yeah. harry so I, guess, <laughs> I give it up to you for doing all the editing and the processing and the finding of the guests it's there's a lot to it so
0: yeah so the the podcasting journey for me started in 2014 when i started my first one which is podcast junkies it's a podcast where i interview other podcasters oh okay and that That's been going since 2014, 280-plus episodes, hour-long interviews. And then I started uh, our agency, Fullcast, which produces shows. So we have a team that produces everything I was learning through uh, my first show. We started to do that for other business owners. So it handles all the production, it handles all the marketing, and then I started Vertical Farming Podcast after reading uh, Peter Diamandis' book, Abundance, which regular listeners have heard. But It took me down a rabbit hole, and then I realized I wanted to learn more and take my listeners along the journey as I was discovering this really fascinating industry, which is why we're on season four now.
1: Yeah, 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 it is. I'm interested to hear how vertical farming was, you know, it's such a niche. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think I've always been interested in new technologies. And, you know, this that book is really interesting because it really just, at the time, introduced me to Dixon Despommier's book, Vertical Farming, which is like one of the very first books people come around or come across in this space. But I, I felt what was interesting and the timing, I didn't plan at this way, but this is just how it happened. As I was getting started kicking off the interviews, COVID hit and very quickly, you know, it started bringing to the, the, the forefront to people that are like me and, and introducing into these conversations, this idea of access to local and fresh food, food deserts. And so it's been really interesting supply chain issues related to, you know, traveling and, and delivering and distributing food across large distances. I think people just take it for granted, you know, the, the bananas that show up in their table or, you know, or the citrus that comes from Florida, you know, or all that food that comes from almonds from California. <laughs> like they don't think about these things, but I think what's been interesting in these conversations is more and more people are becoming aware of this. And so going back to your history and, and your education, I'm curious when this idea of agriculture or you know maybe not specifically vertical farming, but when some of these ideas and, and concepts started coming to the forefront for you?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it's been a journey, um, and it's been you know seeds that were planted from when I was young and that have been you know fertilized and nurtured to to today that got me to to this point. I wouldn't you know when I went into college as a mechanical engineering degree, I if you told me that this is what I would be doing, I wouldn't I wouldn't have believed you. But I did have some some visions when I was younger of uh, you know, I grew up in Philadelphia most of my life in South Philadelphia. It's a, an area where you don't have a lot of access to natural, you know, fresh food. And I was wondering, you know, what would it be like to just have a truck where I had a bunch of fruit on the back and I could, like, old school, you know, fruit cart down the street and sell fruit. And then kind of, you know, it was like, eh, well, you know, at, at the time, where's the money in that mentality and and, and let it go to the wayside. But then. Once I, I started actually discovering plant medicine, specifically cannabis in like 2012, 2013, I, I started getting into it to help myself with some issues. I was you know, an athlete and developed in my older age into like a weekend warrior type of athlete where I had a lot of issues that I was dealing with and decided instead of you know pain relief, what else could I do? And cannabis was a great solution for that. Um, but while I was studying the plant and learning about the industry, I knew there was a, a, a space for me within this ag tech space, but I just didn't know where. And then I was approached by, um, you know, a friend of mine who who wanted to design a system that would grow one plant in one container, and I got on board with that project to help as, you know, the CTO developing the the, the technology, creating the prototypes, and enjoyed it and learned a lot from that experience. But it wasn't something that I was truly passionate about. It was, you know, it was kind of like, what do I want to do? I need something that really speaks to me. So I took a break from that project. And while I was on break, I was actually growing in my own home, growing cannabis at the time. And um, also my corporate life, I mean, I was in corporate America for about mm, 18 years. Uh, Yeah, me too. Yeah. I traveled a lot at the time, so trying to keep up on top of my plants was a little bit of a hassle. You know, I, I found solutions online, like a lot of people do, to help with the light control and doing the, you know, feeding the water and, and checking pH levels. Those things could be automated. Um, this is like 2015, 2014, 2015 timeframe. Uh, but I couldn't figure out how to control the shape of the plant. And when I would go away and come back, it would be you know out of control, growing in <laughs> life.
0: <laughs> All over the place, yeah.
1: So it was a problem that I had. And I, I wondered, is there a way to come up with a solution for this? And that's what started Trello Technologies. But before we went you know, full-fledged into Trello Technologies, I thankfully ran into an angel investor who said, before you spend a lot of energy on this, make sure that there's an actual need. So I took a pause and did like a six-week just deep dive into vertical farming. And time after time after time after time, I just saw that there's a need for it. Indoor farming, vertical farming, we definitely need to, to move this industry forward. We need to move it forward with sustainable, you know, measures included. But I also noticed that a lot of the plants that were being advertised were microgreens, herbs, lettuce, small sort of things. And that's when I said, ah, I think this is where Trello could come in handy because we could help to diversify the types of plants that you could grow in that environment. That's how it started.
0: That's a fascinating journey. And I'm wondering, it's interesting, this this marriage of these skills that you learn early on and you may not realize why you learned them and then for you mechanical engineering and correct me if I'm wrong but I get the sense that you have a sort of like a curious and analytical mind when it comes to trying to solve these problems and I'm wondering was that something that actually originally led you to pick mechanical engineering as something you wanted to study?
1: Yeah yeah that was um, that was it you know we had a um, in high school we had a career day where a gentleman came in and uh, spoke to the class and he was a a doctor and a biomedical engineer. And he was also, you know, a gentleman of African-American descent. So to see someone that looks like me really went, made me open up my mind of what can I do? And I said, if he can be both a doctor and a biomedical engineer, I can be an engineer. (laughs) So, you know, looked at all the different, you know, types of engineering that you could become and settled on mechanical because it had the most diversity and, and variety, like at the time, it was one of the you know verticals that you could go into that offered a lot of different opportunity a lot of different industries so i said let's start there and um luckily i'm glad that i made that choice it it definitely fed my brain and it it works it suits me well yeah
0: do you remember or would your parents be better suited to answer this how you if that's how you were as a child like were you naturally curious did you like you playing with stuff or just asking questions about stuff to just try to figure them out?
1: Yeah, yeah. If you would ask my grandmother and my mother, they would tell you that I was a very, I watched a lot, constantly watching. And I watched adults a lot, <laughs>
0: a lot yeah, That's interesting.
1: And just kind of naturally had this way of being in the world where it was watch what's going on around you, figure out what you like, figure out what you don't like, and then go in that direction. So, yeah, very observant and also... At the time, my mother was a single parent, and when something would break in the house or something needed to be repaired, it was, hey, it's you and me, sis. Let's get it going. So, (laughs) you know, we would figure it out, and, you know, then it's it's such a great time to be alive because now with the internet and YouTube and Google, you can teach almost anything if you have enough patience and you really want to do it. So, you know, this is the time. If you're curious or you like to try new things, the world is open for you. Right now. Yeah,
0: yeah. Absolutely. So I wanna keep things in chronological order. So and I do wanna talk about the the work you've done at uh, John Charles Academy. But you did touch on the podcast and that looks like it started in twenty seventeen. So is that was that is the timing right on that?
1: Well, I did I guess start on a couple of podcasts, but I didn't we didn't have our own podcast until twenty twenty. It was right when the started is when I okay. got into it. Yep.
0: And who were you listening to at the time and what was inspiring you to take that leap?
1: Wow, well, I'm trying to think. I listen to a lot of talk radio. Some of those individuals have some podcasts. There's an individual by the name of Karen Hunter that I listen to a lot on SiriusXM. But who really got me thinking about it was my brother. My younger brother, who's a lot more into social media and kind of what's you know what's going on. And He's also a great supporter of mine and, you know, and, and, you know, cheers me on. And even though he's younger, coaches me, you know, coaches me up. And he said, you know, I think this is something that you could possibly do. And I, him and him didn't a little bit and then decided to take him up on it. And, and I think it was really during the time where we were in a pandemic and we couldn't really talk to people. It was a way for me to be able to share my thoughts and to stay connected. So.
0: What would you say were some of the biggest takeaways or lessons that you learned from that experience of having the podcast?
1: I would say I enjoyed it. It, it, There's a lot of work to it, however, and I think if I were to do it again, it would be a lot more (laughs) well thought out and planned in advance. We kind of did it, you know, maybe with two weeks prior, we'd we'd know what was coming. It would cause a little bit of anxiety and, and, you know, an exhaustion (laughs) from trying to to get things.
0: I know that feeling, yeah.
1: (laughs) So I would say better planning would have been one of the things that I learned. Um, And then the other is to keep, you know, make sure that you have a lot more guests. I think when we did it before, there were some episodes without a guest and some episodes with guests. And I I enjoyed the one with guests a lot more. So I I would do that on the next go around.
0: I don't know how the experience was for you, but what I've noticed is with my original show and with this show, having this opportunity to meet people that if it not for the podcast, I wouldn't have met before and getting, I love the idea of like long form conversations as a way to get to know people a little better because, you know, a 15 minute chat or, you know, in the past I'm dating myself, but when you would see someone on the news or a special or a talk show, you'd get to hear them for like five minutes and you don't really understand. Like they just tell you, they put their best foot forward. But I think getting to have at least in this long form conversation with people, Really helps you connect with them on a more human level. And I'm wondering if that's something that you found through some of your conversations as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, I enjoy the longer podcasts to listen to. The ones that are a little bit shorter, I tend to just, you know, either go past or or not really get into it because I feel like I'm going to be gypped. It's not going to be the full, complete picture. You know, it'll be out of context. So to be able to listen to it in long form is great. And then I also find personally you know this is something that my team has been working with me on is trying to do you know social media and there, th- there are things like tiktok and these short form videos where they're like we just want you to say something in 30 seconds and i'm like i don't say <laughs> anything <in 30> seconds.
0: <laughs> i hear you i hear you loud and clear i'm like i'm 51 so i ter- I, I i have it and i i I turn it on or I log in and then I very quickly log out and was like, nope. <laughs>
1: yeah. This is way too much for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, I have a hard time <laughs> creating content when in really short snippets. I'd rather it be long for.
0: I do find it amazing. And I found this out that my ability to talk and on a podcast lends itself well to what I'm doing now because I, I like to speak. I like to talk to people. And it, now we're using more and more video just because of tools like Squadcast. But In the past, you would just use the audio. And I think as people that create content or business owners that need in the beginning to wear all the hats, you know, you quickly realize, do I like writing? Do I like doing quick, short videos? Do I just like speaking? And so finding that fit for you, I think is helpful to figure out where, you know, where you naturally like feel at ease. And it's really important because I think in the beginning, like when, especially as business owners, you're like, oh, you're supposed to be blogging. And I'm like... I don't like writing like <laughs> these long blog posts. That's what marketers are for. That's what copywriters are for.
1: Yeah. 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 And that was, you know, when we first started out and we had a very small team and had to do all those things. I struggled with writing. I'd much rather speak even, you know, on Slack, they have that audio like version now and I'm like, yes, audio. <laughs>
0: Yeah, or, or this, you probably, we all have our friends that like, uh, I was just telling my partner this this morning, who have a preference for leaving those, even Facebook messages, right? Some people like the quick, even the SMS. That's another form of communication, right? Like kids are breaking up nowadays via text messages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: now I, and you know, my friends and family, they know I'm short with my texts and, but if you want to pick up the phone and talk, that's when we can really get into it. So yeah, yeah, I feel you.
0: So talk to me a little bit about John Charles Academy for folks that may not be familiar with it.
1: Yeah, yeah, John Charles Academy, the new school just started this year, founded in 2019, but we had our first, we're in the crux of our first school year. It's uh, created and founded by a woman, Nakia Navarro, who also heads up a a nonprofit organization called Building Audacity. And Building Audacity is, you know, kind of the umbrella in John Charles Academy. Is under that, but the goal of the school is to teach differently, think different, you know, come at this education aspect from a different approach. It's really centered around Black and Brown individuals that are looking to learn different languages. So if you are, you know, fluent in Spanish, making sure that there's a teacher in the room that can teach you in your primary language and then supplement you with English. You know, the the students that attend are. From all different types of backgrounds. Some of them can afford the school, some of them cannot, but no one's turned away. So a lot of the, um, the funding is, you know, she, it's a nonprofit, so it, there are people that are, you know, partnering up and donating money to help with education. Um, and it's in a location in Lynn, Massachusetts, where there's not an, enough schools. We need more schools. So it's fitting, it's filling that need as well. Um, one of the cool things about the John Charles Academy Nakia, she uh, reached out to me, I think it was due late 2019. And I met her previously, but she saw that I was you know, doing ag tech hydroponics and she wanted to create a hydroponics lab in the school. So we were able to identify and find some equipment, bring it into the school, get it set up. So we have about five and eventually six different Stations, we call them, that are different types of, you know, grow towers or or NFT racks, all different types of equipment, and we're you know we're testing with them and growing with them, but we're also teaching, and the students get a chance to interact with all that equipment, and it's been interesting. <laughs> it's been really interesting and fun to see how they respond and react to something like this.
0: What's been the most interesting aspects? I mean, and there's a lot of fun things that happen when you introduce some of these. Topics, some of these technologies to uh, young minds who are open to discovering things like this, and what was what were you seeing as you were introducing these and teaching them these topics?
1: Well, what's interesting is that there are some youth, some children, and this goes all the way down to like kindergarten, first grade, that already know the importance of growing their own food. So that I assumed before that if there would be um, a lot of having to teach the importance of why are we learning all of this stuff, but the parents, you know, have already started some of that stuff. I would say maybe 25% of them are already aware of the importance, and then it's the 75% that we're working with. But they get it; they see what's going on around them. The children are not, you know, they're not blind. They understand the importance of these things. So, the bulk of them are extremely interested, which is great. The thing that's been interesting, though, is that a lot of them don't like vegetables. They don't like. They love fruit. Love the fruit. Vegetables, not so much. When we talk about growing you know, lettuce and kale, you kind of get a mm. But what we decided to do was to allow each student to have their own plant. And we have um, their towers, lettuce grow towers, maybe some of your listeners have seen or, or heard about those. You can get, you know, that you can get them 36 count plants or 24, so we have a few of those at the school and we were able to dedicate one little spot per, per student. So each student has their own plant um, they planted it. They come in. They maintain it, and then it's time to, to harvest a little bit and test it. And we did that just a couple of weeks ago. And a big bulk of them actually were like, "I like it." And I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> Thinking to myself, "You like it because it's yours." And you know, they're taking it home to their parents. And then, you know, last week I hear some of them saying that their parents made some things with it, and made some salads. So wow. For me, it's been it's been nice to, and cool to see how some kids that were kind of like mm, that are now saying, yeah, I want to eat more. Like, can I take more off my plant? I'm like, no, we have to let it rest. It's it only has three leaves left. We have to leave it so that it can recover.
0: That's funny. Did they get to name their own towers as well?
1: They get to name their own plants. So some of them have okay. decided to name their plants. It's been fun. You know, their plants named Michael, <laughs> Elmo, Oscar. So that's cute. Yeah. It's been, it's been fun
0: but it's interesting what it teaches them this idea planning care nutrition taking pride in things that they've created and also this idea of supply and demand you know on a really tiny scale but like that simple concept of like no you can't like take all the leaves because you need to give it room to grow and rest and and so it must be fascinating and and i don't know if you thought of all these things but just all these little lessons that they've learned just from maintaining and being responsible for that one tower
1: yeah no you know it's been a learning experience for me as well this is the first year so we're working through the curriculum and kind of you know adjusting it on the fly as as we need to and sometimes the students will say something or ask about something that wasn't you know wasn't on the game plan but i say let's just let them lead and let the end go in the direction that they take this this class so a lot of interesting questions and because we're dealing with hydroponics, I think the other thing that intrigues them is the lack of soil. And, you know, at first some of them were like, no, you're still using soil because they would see the little seed plugs um, that you use to start and you'd have to- Yeah, yeah, No cheating. but, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, But yeah, it's been fun, it's been fun.
0: And what were some of the questions that they're asking?
1: How could we breed, yesterday I had a really interesting question about trying to breed a tomato and corn together to see what would happen with that
0: <laughs> that's interesting
1: yeah and could we start could we start breeding plants and i said you're adding way too much to my to-do list this year we maybe in the future we can but that's a whole nother process but yeah
0: what's well, fascinating because like young minds like that are still tapped into their like inner creativity and you know they're at that Depending what age you are, but sometimes you have to just almost encourage them and just like not limit their, like there's no silly question because that's where some of the most amazing, I'm sure, ideas and inventions have happened in the past. Just letting like minds like that, young minds like that to run free sometimes is exciting to see what they come up with.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It has been. It has been.
0: So talk to me about the, the, it sounds like you created or invented something to help with the to handle or address limited space in terms of which you have to grow so is that tied directly to trella yep or okay can you talk a little talk a little bit about the origin story there
1: yeah sure that's a product that um, that we it's called trella grow lst so it's under trella technologies it's patented we just got our patent in january of, of 2021 when i was dealing with that problem you know back in 2016 of trying to control the height of, my, of the plant we were trying to figure out how can we automatically, when I'm not there, I could keep my lights at a certain height and I'm done. I don't have to like worry about it anymore. It's not gonna grow into the light. So we got into what's called, you know, low stress training, plant training techniques, tying things, but trying to figure out how can we do that with robotics and and not having to rely on that manual operation so much. So what we came up with is a system that will automatically train a plant to grow sideways, horizontally essentially what it what it does is it it tricks the top of the plant and it, it's it's all by light, so there's no like genetic or you know chemical you know violation of the plant it's just the plant is going through a green ring and if anyone would like to see what this looks like because visuals really help you could go to to our website at trella dot a.io. i o and
0: we'll be sure to have uh, links to all that all that stuff in the show notes as well
1: yeah great thank you But if if you see what it looks like, there's a green ring with a hole in it and the top of the plant goes through that green ring. And as the plant grows more and more, the green ring just moves to the side. So if the plant grows very fast, the green ring will move as fast as the plant is growing. So it's sensing growth rate and adjusting accordingly. So what it does is it, it, you know, during that vegetation phase, it trains the plant to grow from one side to the other. And then once you get done with the vegetation phase and you're ready to go into flowering or, or fruiting, depending on the, the plant that you're working with, you can allow those branches that have been trained to grow sideways to stretch up towards the light. And that stretch period will vary depending on the plant. But the bulk of that, of the work of making sure that it's all at one height and taken care of during the vegetation phase. We also have a, you know, there's data always attached to everything. You can't have a Product without the software side. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's, a, of course. there's an app that is tracking that growth rate so that you can see how fast your plant's moving, but it's also tracking temperature, humidity, and CO2. So we can see if there's any correlation between your environment and how fast your, your plant grows. And we're also testing correlations on, on how fast plants will grow with how often you interact with it. So if you go in, and you prune and cut a lot of leaves which you don't necessarily have to but if you you know want to do so will your plant slow down and how much and you know how long will it take to recover so we can track all of that with the app which is pretty cool
0: okay the lots of questions the big (laughs) one is how talk a little bit about your thought process or how i'm just curious kind of like how your mind works but like what what starts to click or how do you think about a problem like this and maybe some of your obviously experience in mechanical engineering and and who did you work with to sort of brainstorm this at a high level and then as, think about how you would actually put this into a viable working model?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, so when I thought of the idea, I got together with a co-founder, Andres Chamar. We we call him Dre. He's a mechanical engineer as well. We went to school together at Northeastern University had a couple of classes together, worked on some other projects post-college, and we work really well together, especially with brainstorming. So he and I got together after I came up with this thought or this problem and said, let's just jot down like a bunch of ideas. So we came up with like 12 different thing, methods that we thought would do it, all really based on phototropism with the understanding that the plant will go in the direction where it sees the most light. So whatever we develop, we just have to make sure that we're using that as the the basis. So we had a plethora of ideas. And then we narrowed that down to three um, that we thought were viable just by thinking it through, talking it through. And then with the three, we decided to build like a pseudo prototype that had elements of all three so we could try to figure out which ones made more sense. And we did that with no automation, no robotics. It was just really training it by hand, but doing it a certain way to see whether the plant would, would respond properly. And it worked, but it had several issues that we still had to figure out. How much space do you need to give the plant so that it feels that it's healthy and it's not stressed and cramped? I mean, you have issues with mold that you have to consider when you're holding a plant in a certain configuration, making sure that you have enough airflow going through there. So we had to solve that problem. And over time, the device got bigger and bigger and bigger, but we wanted to keep it to a certain size constraint because we were visualizing putting it in containers, arms, or sitting it on shelves. So we wanted to make sure that it at least didn't get too large. And we, I think we did seven designs. We built all of our prototypes in house. My co-founder Dre um, is a tinkerer. He's a mechanical engineer as well, so and he has access to a lot of equipment. So we were luckily able to prototype a lot of the stuff in house, which saved on cost. And then we brought some more people on, on board to help with taking the design from the prototype stage to you know MVP and, and then production. So it's been it's been a while. <laughs> it's been a while, yeah.
0: How many years total then would you say from, you know, thinking up and coming up with the the idea to that working prototype and to what you have now?
1: So we talked about the idea in November of 2016 and we had our first prototype by 2017, Okay. early 2017. I think we filed our provisional patent around that time as well. Then filed our formal patent in 2018 when we were in prototype number three. And then finally got to our full, full patent this year. But um, yeah, if you saw the first one, it, I think we've got, there's some pictures on our Instagram. Like if you, you know, we, in YouTube, if you go far enough back, you'll see where it started and you'll see where we are now. And, and it's a total difference.
0: <laughs> what was the the thought process around creating a company around this? Because obviously create having something that works is is one thing but then deciding like is this viable is there a market for this and then all the the things that have to happen starting up and and running a company and starting to build a team so I'm I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about that journey as well now
1: yeah I've always well not always Let me let me be correct with that around the age of 30 I got the entrepreneur bug I what book did I read no more Mondays or something like that. Like one of those. Yeah. And
0: uh,
1: and a gentleman that I worked with uh, passed away suddenly in his sleep, and I he had been aiming for some like upper management position and had been passed over time and time again, and then just suddenly passed away. And it was wow. kind of an eye opening, you know, thought process for me after reading No More Mondays and then watching what happened to this gentleman. And i said i gotta figure out how to take my life's direction in my own hands and, and to think a little bit bigger so at that point i knew corporate me working for a company was not going to be my end all but it would be what i would have to do to get to get to that point so i did a lot of side projects on the you know with with other companies i had my own software uh, trading company it was a little little thing that i put together but it was a a way for me to figure out what does it take to at least have a business. And then when I was a part of the other startups, I got to see a little bit more about what it takes to be, to have a business and to be a leader. And I was working with a coach who understood where I was trying to go. So helped me to develop my, you know, (laughs) self-talking, you know, getting my, my brain together and then figuring out how to be a good leader and how to manage. And then once I felt, that this was something that I really wanted to do. I just created a plan of escape. I call it <laughs> escaping out of corporate America. Yeah, the matrix. <laughs> yep. Yep. And was able to do that April of 2019. So it wasn't, it hasn't been very long, but uh, yeah, that was, that's what I think pushed me in this direction that, you know, I, I have a lot of different ideas. I want to be a, a good leader i want to create a company where people are thrilled and excited to, to come to work they feel like it's a part of something it was almost like i was trying to create i'm trying to create something that i never had and that's what fuels me today is you know when it when things are hard it's like no yeah it's we'll get there it's, if it was that easy everybody would would have it so
0: yeah i think back in my experiences the managers that i remember the most are the ones who Supported you and and made you realize that there's no such thing as a bad question. So they would, you know, they let people speak whatever they wanted to and what was on their mind without any judgment on that. And then, uh, so you had some room to make mistakes, um, and also just supported you in in your growth. And I, you know, definitely resonate with that. And to that point, what's what are some of the things that you've picked up along the way that have been helpful for you as a new leader for your company?
1: I think you kind of touched on it a little bit. My apologies. I thought I silenced that. Okay. You kind of touched on it a little bit. It's, you know, having the ability to let people be flexible and to to try new things. I found that, you know, a lot of corporate America is very you're this is the way we're going to do it. Yeah, you just showed up. Yes, you might have a, you know, another idea, but this is the way that we've been doing it and there isn't that flexibility. But when you you have a startup and then when you also make sure that it's part of the culture, you can allow that flexibility. And I think it makes people a lot more easy they're at ease that they're not going to get in trouble that, that they can try different things and my team that's that's what they do and then they also each of them have their own personal goal that might be tied to Trello. you know there's 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 some aspect of Trello where they're learning something so that they can do something else and i think some some companies might say ooh, you know you don't really want you know, you want people that are going to be dedicated to the company, you know, from year over year over year. And I'm like, mm, no. I want them to be dedicated to the, their craft and their skill set and what they w- like to do. And then I hope that they can give that value to Trella for however amount, however they feel fit that amount of time is the amount of time they want to give it. And then they're free. They're free to move on to something else, because I think it allows them to really get into Trella and to learn and be creative. Knowing that they can take whatever they're they're learning somewhere else if they decide that, they, that that's what they want to do. So
0: yeah, what's interesting about that is this is a complete paradigm shift, like the old way of thinking, like you know, back in the day, if you got to work for the same company, like like you can work for IBM for your whole life or GM or something or Boeing and like you were set for life and you had the pension. But I think I think what's been a wake up call, especially with COVID and remote work and thinking about like this new generation, you know, how they respond to this nine to five box and this 40 hours a week box. And as, as managers and business owners adjusting to that, like this new reality of this is the workforce. And so there's a mix of that. Then to your point also, if you really are truly invested in the growth of this person who at the time is your employee, but as a person you want to see them grow, I think what you just outlined makes a lot of sense. Like it may not be at the company that they're at now and I think as a business owner and uh it's important to have that trust that if if and when that person can leave and grow to a better opportunity that you can send them on their way and then you you'll trust that the right person will come in to to fill up that slot it's a good that's a good fit for your company
1: yeah that's that is you know I think having there's so many people in the world and especially that when you can work with people at, all over the world you'll find someone you know, every everyone's re- can be replaced, including the CEO, including me. Will it have the same flavor? Maybe not. But I could be replaced. So, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> let's work together while while we can and, and while while we want to. And then when we decide we're not having fun anymore, we'll move on to the next thing.
0: Very good. What's the uh, res- response been since uh, the, the product's been introduced to the market?
1: So. The response has been like, it's like one side versus the, you know, we, we have a pretty wide spectrum where people are like, wow, I've never seen anything like that before. And it's like one of a kind. Wow, you know, and they understand that This isn't just about growing in a container, but it's where else could we grow? We could grow on in space. We could take this into, onto railway, you know, railroads where you have rail cars that are growing food while they're moving, you know, growing food in transit. So, so a lot of people see, when I explain it to them, they see how big this this could possibly be. And then on the other side of things, it's, I like doing it by hand. Okay, like we're not for everybody and it's not, you know, priced for everybody. It's, it's priced for people who are doing this at scale to some degree and also are working with certain types of plants that have that, re- you know, revenue generation that makes it worthwhile. Yeah. But if you're, if you're just growing tomato plants at home because you enjoy the process of growing tomato plants at home, this isn't something that's that's for you. And I think we have to get better as a company at explaining who our, like, who our target customer is. Um, and we've uh, luckily been able to bring some people on board this year to help us with that.
0: And then I uh, saw that you also have a, a WeFunder page. So you're looking to crowdsource some investment as well?
1: Yeah, yeah. We have always been supported financially by the community. You know, when we started out, it was myself and my co-founder who bootstrapped and, you know, put the money up for the, for the start. And then we did an Indiegogo campaign to raise a little bit more money. So that was, you know, mostly friends that knew us. And we did a regulation, a crowdfunding campaign to get a a bulk of of the money. We raised about 360,000 on that, on that round. And then we're opening it up again for our next round on WeFunder and you know that's one of the things that i like about crowdfunding is that it it really allowed us to do two things at once to test the market you know a lot of our investors are our customers a lot of our customers are our investors so not only were we able to find money capital but were we were actually able to you know find the market and to to prove that that part of the concept so it's it's worked out really well for us moving forward Will we only do regulation crowdfunding? I, I would say um, no, but I would always like to have regulation crowdfunding open so that people in the community can, can be a part of our, of our journey.
0: Yeah. So what do you see as the opportunities going forward when you look at the experiences and conversations and connections you've made up, up until this point? What has you most excited when you, when you look out for the next two to three years for Trello?
1: Well, I think what has me most excited is that, in you know, we talked about this a little bit, the momentum in the vertical farming space, the pandemic, and that people are a lot more aware about it because prior to this, it was not a lot of people really thought that this was important or was, you know, had a lot of opportunity from a financial or investment perspective, but but they see it now. And there are a lot of people that are out there working on solutions that we could partner up with and that could couple and supplement what it is that we're trying to do. You know, I share that I that that vision that I have of growing food in transit. And in order to do that, you're not you, you need to, you know, automate several things. Automating the plant training and maintenance aspect is something that that Trello can can help out with, but we're going to need to find individuals that are developing those container systems and that are automating other things. And they're doing it. There's lots of options out there now. Uh, so what's exciting to me is that. You know, when we thought about this back in 2016, 2017, and we pictured, you know, growing something on a on a spaceship or in a in a rail rail car, we were like, "Wow, that's going to be that's a huge system, like the whole thing." Picturing the whole thing, it's a lot.
0: Sure, sure. And
1: you know, part of me said, "There's other people working on this. We'll just have to find them." And sure enough, there are a plethora of other people that are working on the solution. So what's been great is we are now starting to find those individuals and see some and see synergy. From nonprofit organizations, uh, educational institutions, you know, universities, and even you know, just communities as a whole. You know, we have a Native American tribe that's interested in in using our technology for what they're doing in in Montana. So, it's um, <laughs> it's going to be crazy to see where this goes in the next two to three years.
0: Can you highlight one, two of the partnerships or companies or other groups that you've had some some success working with?
1: Yeah, well, we have a few, we call them our R&D partners and they are basically just individuals who are looking to help us test the product to figure out how many different types of plants can we, can we grow with, with this thing. So right now we're developing partnerships with the University of DC. They have an urban ag department there. And We were able to go out and, and meet with them, talk about what we're trying to do. They, they love the idea and putting some units together for them for early 2022. I also talked about the, the tribe, it's the Chippewa tribe, Turtle Mountain Band, and had a chance, you know, they're doing something in Montana, but when we first started talking, it was North Dakota. So I had a chance to go out there and, and to speak with them and find out what they're trying to do. And, you know, they're excited to get their hands on our units. We have had testing done with some hemp farmers, uh, local to Massachusetts, one one farm called Terrapin Farm who's owned by we call her she's an activist she's like one of the you know the, a big activist in the cannabis and hemp space here in Massachusetts and you know she's been really great you know th- these R&D partners like like Linda they give feedback on not just the product but also on the potential of like what you you know what you can do with this type of stuff so they they're willing to you know share their network and all types of stuff so it's been really great to work with these R&D partners and as I say to to everybody, you know, this is this is something new. It's never been done before. It's ready for the market, but it can be so much more. And we want to work with with people who want to test it, try it out, give us some feedback, so that we can tweak it and make it make it even better.
0: That's very exciting. Have you given the timing of of when you started working on Trello? Uh, did you did you make us any of the conferences, or were you able to connect to any of the other players in the space?
1: Sorry, can you repeat that one more time?
0: Uh, just given the timing of when Trello started and obviously the pandemic <laughs> timing through a lot of things in disarray, but were you able to attend any of the ag tech conferences or vertical farming conferences?
1: I haven't been to any of the conferences since the pandemic started. I will be going to one in December. It's actually a cannabis conference in Chicago, uh, NECAN. It's called N-E-C-A-N-N. So northeast cannabis. I don't want to mess up the mess up saying the right yeah. way. <laughs> but um, we can look it up. Yeah, and prior to that, like 2018, 2019, we hit it hard on the streets. We went to okay a lot of events. We did some 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 trade shows, mostly in the New England area. And then when it was time to you know go that next step, that's when the pandemic hit, and it actually caused us to have to change our manufacturing approach. So we spent a bulk of twenty 20 and some of 2021 adjusting how we were going to manufacture these things. So that took precedence. And now that things are getting, you know, oh, things are opening up again. I won't say back to normal things are opening up again. It's time to get back out there. Yeah.
0: I'm curious. I've been, I've mentioned it a couple of times on this show, but I'm I'm cognizant of the fact that there's very few people of color in the vertical farming industry. I'm Latino. Uh, and so I'm, I'm conscious and I've been even just women CEOs and founders and and founders that are of color, black and brown, like folks in the space. And I'm—is that something that was obvious to you when you were entering it, or is it is has it just become noticeable for you? I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that as you've been working in the industry.
1: Yeah, I mean, I i have to. I feel like my entire like <laughs> adult life has been working with people who don't look like me. Or working in spaces with people who don't look like me. And the vertical farming, indoor farming industry is no different. You know, being a mechanical engineer at Northeastern University, there weren't a lot of, um, there was only one other woman of color that I know of. So I'll be clear on that. That that was in my classes in my senior year. But um, it's always been kind of, you know, where are we in this space? And what I will say, though, is, I am seeing now more involvement from, and more, I won't say involvement, because I I believe people were always involved, they just weren't being highlighted and and shown, or didn't have a platform to showcase their work. Um, And now that we have all these platforms to do so, I can find now a lot of other examples of people doing great work in the farming space in general. That's, you know, if I need to find someone that looks like me, I can find them. But in the beginning, it was, you know, pretty, pretty rough.
0: Well, it's interesting because earlier in our conversation you mentioned uh, one of the I think it was the teachers or professors that you admired in the space as well, and this continues to happen. You know, I have to imagine there's already young boys and young girls of color that are looking to you and inspired to, by you and the work that you're doing. And when they see that that this is a career that's possible, and this is a future that's possible, and it's an important one because it's something that's doing good for the world. And I I really you know, hats off to you and I'm, I'm truly inspired by your story. And I think telling the story and, and I think seeing you in action, I think is is really important for, you know, kids that are in, you know, these low to moderate income neighborhoods who don't, to, to your point at, at John Charles, like didn't, didn't have the the concept of fresh food and what, what's bad food or what what's good food. And so all these things, there's so many things happening, but I think it's all trending towards the positive.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, representation is totally key. You know, it obviously had a huge impact on me when I was young, and I know that it has an impact on some of the other youth and children that I'm around. I think it's also made me think about how I'm showing up in these spaces, being authentic. Yeah. Because... If I really want them to feel like they can be themselves in this space, I have to be myself in this space. So, you know, if you looked at my corporate, you know, outfit back in the day, you know, five years ago, you know, had the suit on, you know, then, and all that. And, you know, but now I'm like, this is, this is something that I'm creating and I want to show how you can do this authentically. And maybe I'm not for everyone. It's all good. But for the people that I'm for, I want them to see me um, and to to really feel, you know, that they know what they're dealing with and who they're who they're working with, and then we can make sure that we're in proper alignment versus representing myself differently. So, yeah, it's a lot more comfortable. There, it's a little bit, you know, strange from time to time, but but at the I would say overall, it, I love it. I love it. I would not go back at all. I'm not, not at all.
0: Yeah, super exciting and inspiring. What's a tough question you've had to ask yourself recently?
1: Wow, there's been a lot. <laughs> <laughs> there's been a lot. I think when, you, when you're at a point where you're trying to, you know, we've, we've had supply chain issues like some of the other, you know, people that might be listening to this podcast that have been dealing with in, with electronics, we have some, some components that you cannot, cannot find for a long amount of time, so we had to make some tweaks and that caused you know, some backups. And when you, you're hitting the wall with things like this, you're like, is this not the right, is this the right time? Did, I, did we make the right decision in manufacturing it ourselves? Should I hit the pause and figure out, you know, a, is it now the time to pivot? I think those those are the hard questions is when you hit a hurdle or a wall of some sort, am I supposed to persevere through this or should I pivot? And I think in those times, it's really great to have people around you who know what your mission is and and can remind you and you can bounce these things off of them and go, what what are you seeing? Because I trust you. So I want to know what you see. And they can say, "Mm." Or no, hey, remember when you said X, Y, Z, stay the course, stay the course. So, That's good. So yeah, it's those types of individuals are key in your life too, to help you with those hard questions. <laughs> those hard questions.
0: Yeah, it's and it's interesting. Sometimes just a little bit of encouragement is all you need to hear in that moment to realize that you are on the right path. Because we all as entrepreneurs, you know, we go through our imposter syndrome moments <laughs> and our self-doubt. And especially when we have people that are counting on us, I think. You know trusting the advice of people who have been there who have your best interest at heart it's really important to have a circle like that
1: yeah yeah it is and if I certainly thank you very much
0: (laughs) (laughs) of course so Asia thank you so much for taking the time to join me on the show that the hour goes by pretty quickly when when you're just riffing a bit and I'm really inspired by your story I'm just grateful for the way these paths line up sometimes and you know again if not for the podcast we would not have met and i just feel honored at the uh opportunity to tell your story so i want to thank you for sharing it
1: yeah harry and thank you very much for setting aside some space for me to share the story with your audience you know it's incredibly valuable to be able to talk to so many people through you and, and if you would have said no then this wouldn't have happened so thank
0: you. Very much. <laughs> yeah no i mean it's just exciting to get to I'm, like I said in the beginning, I'm learning along the way. I'm, so I have the sort of the enthusiasm of a child sometimes when I hear about this. Stuff, I'm like, oh, this is really cool because like, it's exciting what you're doing. And I, I want that to be carried through to the listeners as well. So I do appreciate it. Where's the best place for folks to learn more about Trella and to connect with you?
1: So you can go to our website, trella.io. And if you want to learn more about me, um, I also have a website, asiatwood.com. Okay. and. Uh, if you want to learn more about the product Trello, go to the website. But you can also check out YouTube, Instagram. Those are our, our heavy hitters. It's right there. So okay. at Trello Tech.
0: And we'll make sure all of those are listed in the show notes as well.
1: Excellent. Thank you.
0: Okay. Thanks again, Asia. All
1: right. Have a good one, Harry.
0: Thanks again to Asia for coming on the show and sharing her story. Full show notes available at verticalfarmingpodcast.com. Thanks again to Cultivated for being a fantastic sponsor. If you're looking into a vertical farm and don't know where to start or which technology would suit your needs, make sure you reach out to them today. The best part about it is that their service is free and it's because they work on behalf of their partners. So head on over to cultivated.com. Just leave off the last E. That's C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-D.com. Another reminder, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash V-F-P. We'll be sure to read those out on future episodes. Until we meet again, here's to your health. Thanks for listening. To read the full show notes for this episode, which includes any links mentioned in the episode, as well as a full show transcription, visit verticalfarmingpodcast.com. There, you can sign up for our email list to be notified when new
1: episodes are published.